Hey everybody, Jake from Rise to Liberty podcast here. Just wanted to take a second to say to uh, like, share, subscribe, rate, and review the show. It helps out more than you would think. Um, that's one of the best ways to help out the show. I also do have a buy me a coffee, a way to subscribe um, to the show to be able to receive premium content or to accept donations. We also accept donations in Monero cryptocurrency. So if you would like to support the show, there are a couple of ways to do it. Don't forget to go over to rise to liberty.com where if you look on your screen, you can see that there is this nifty little tab now to where you can leave voice messages. So if you would like to leave a voice message and have it played on the show, make sure to head over to ridetoliberty.com, click on the voice message tab. It will pop up like this. This also works on mobile devices. Hit the start recording, record, and you can record, delete, and record again if you don't like the message that you did record, and send it off. Make sure to have all voice messages in by Friday evening. If anything comes in Saturday, that means it will wait until the next episode, the following week. Also, this week, I had the benefit of interviewing a very amazing man and my new friend, Thomas Queter. Let's see. Come on. Come on. Here we go. Thomas Queter, he is running for state senate in New York, running for District 52. And as you can see, there is no quit in Queter. It was a great conversation. He had the benefit of being the first interview. So awesome for him and for me. So if you could spread Spread the word around of Thomas Queter and his campaign for state senate. That would not only help him out, but it will help the people in his district out. We need to make sure and get him in there. He is accepting all donations. Just go to his website, which is tomfor52.com, T-O-M-F-O-R-5-2.com. Go up to the right-hand corner, right top corner, and hit the donate button. If you cannot donate, make sure and spread the website around. Come up here. Uh, let's see, he has a drop down menu for people just listening audio. And there's his about, his bio, his issues, ways to help out, also his merch shop. Also, he is doing something very cool. This will stop being slow. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has a, another merch shop and a meme contest. Oh, come on. That's tomfor52.com slash FTG. Type that into your browser. And, oh, come on. 
All right, apparently it's not going to work. So tomfor52.com slash FTG and go and check out the special meme merch. Oh, hey, there we go. This is a new program, so it's still trying to work out the kinks here. So let's see. No? Here we go. So <clears throat> there you can see some of the, or the most popular memes so far. Thomas Queter obviously is in a wheelchair, and I absolutely love his tagline that he runs better than the government. Absolutely hilarious. He is a man of great humor. So anyways, make sure to go check him out. Support him any way you can. Spread the website. Once again, that's tomfor52.com, T-O-M-F-O-R-5-2.com. Also, risetolibertypodcast.com, and I hope you enjoy the interview. for joining Rise to Liberty podcast. I have a very special guest on today, Thomas Queter. I recently met him. Have, How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. It's a, it's a pleasure. You are actually the first interview. So uh, you're pretty, pretty lucky. You know, I had to uh, put the best uh, person out there first. So Definitely thought uh, having you on would be a great choice. So thank you for coming. Um, so first, would you like to give the audience a quick rundown of who you are and what you have going on? Wow, quick, huh? Eh, um, it can be long if you would so my like. Name is Tom- <laughs> my name is Thomas Daniel Queter. Um, I'm a lifelong self-advocate regarding my disability. And for about eight years, I've been advocating for others, specifically those who are um, not adequately helped or sometimes not helped at all by the systems that we expect to help them through our government. Um, we fail to realize that just because these systems are there and just because they spend a lot of money doesn't mean that they actually have an end result that, that equates to what we expect. Um, I always compare government to a Burger King commercial specifically in regard to systems that support those disabilities. They sell you one thing in the commercial, yeah. right? It's a big, beautiful burger. The patty is juicy. The vegetables have lots of color. Every sesame seed is perfectly placed on the fluffy bun. And then you get out to the other side of the drive-thru, and you have a greasy, flat, if you're lucky, the meat's there, patty that's uh, devoid of nutrition, and the color, so the vegetables really, well, they don't have any color. You know, yeah. it's, it's not what you were sold. Exactly. Um, and that, that is that is very, very typical in our systems, particularly for those that uh, support people with disabilities. So actually right now I'm crowdfunding for a gentleman who needs wheelchair. He was actually hit by a car twice, lost two in a row, um, two slow-moving accidents. One in a crosswalk and another in a parking lot. And 
the first one, the, the person's insurance uh, paid to replace it. The second one, he, he is getting a small payment, but it's not enough to replace the wheelchair. And this guy's a libertarian in Pennsylvania. He's an avid volunteer, father of four. He has CP and epilepsy. And he's always helping his community. What does he need to be able to help his community? Access to his community. And what gives him access to his community? The mobility needs that he has. In this case, it's a pretty simple wheelchair. The crowdfunding effort is already almost $600 in. And it's just a $3,500 bill. That's it. Yeah. Um, and what this does is it cuts out all of the bureaucracy that one has to go through, which is also expensive to get approved for and delivered a wheelchair through the systems. Yeah. Taxpayers are saving money because we're crowdfunding his wheelchair. Mine was also crowdfunded. A couple of years ago, I reapplied for the same wheelchair, same make, same model that I'd had five times prior for over 20 years. It was denied. I was told I had to get a wheelchair from a specific range of wheelchairs that had no suspension, and my condition is osteogenesis imperfecta, also yeah. known as brittle bones disease. Now, if you've got brittle bones, don't you want a suspension in your wheelchair that's adequate? You would think you would. Apparently. You would think you would. Yeah, apparently our, our government does not. So I was in the process of trying to repair the one I had, and I came across one on eBay that was unused, 20 years old. That was perfect. And I made a joke about crowdfunding. No, I didn't make a joke about crowdfunding. I made a joke about getting it for my birthday because it was coming up. You know, I just mm -hmm. took a screenshot, lots of laughy faces. I said, you know, if anybody's got $4,000 plus shipping and, and trading and, and modification from Texas, that's what I want for my birthday. It was a joke. I, I was yeah. using humor to placate that, that horrible sense of, of, of disappointment, right? Because this is this is an expensive wheelchair, very good quality, perfect for my needs. Yeah, and it's only four thousand dollars, but yeah, I couldn't afford it. There's oh. no way I could purchase it. That that's really difficult to be able that, to afford like, something so expensive. Correct. Well, I mean. Well, I'm not done. You think $4,000 is expensive. The chairs that the state would have provided that would have led to my injury and, and going to the bed to the end of my days um, would have cost the taxpayers $19,000. Whoa. Can, can you imagine paying $19,000 for a crappy wheelchair? Not, if, not a uh, if you're spending state wheelchair. <laughs> right. Well, they're all state wheelchairs now. Yeah. So, there's a couple of friends of mine who ended up becoming libertarians, um, actually kind of had it out with me. They had an argument with me. They, they convinced me to allow them to crowdfund it. And there's another aspect here. When the state, through systems of support, gives you a wheelchair in New York, it yeah. can take up to two years. I've never seen it take less than 12 months. Jeez. And here's the thing. Two people who became libertarians crowdfunded 
a wheelchair actually beyond my needs. It's even better than what I would have accepted. For $6,500 total. Created, shipped from Texas, and modified for the seating in two months. Wow. So what we have here is, is two different systems of getting the job done. We have state with all of its bureaucracy, all of its extra expenditures, all of the social workers, doctors, other appointments involved that try to tell me what I need when they don't even know my situation, and they're always wrong. $19,000, two years. $19,000 is the price of the wheelchair, not the total price going through the system. On the other hand, we have me, an individual, who knows his needs and found what he needed and a couple of people who decided to help in two months in two months they dramatically outperformed state systems so what does that tell us direct assistance voluntary action people choosing to do the right thing works far better than our government and what's the problem with the situation i mean we have this system and we have this system and they, they, they both kind of work well, here's the problem. The people who donated to help me get this wheelchair are paying taxes for this system to give me what I need. So they paid once for the state to give me what I need. The state failed. And they paid again to give me what I actually need. Not only did they pay for it twice, but they did it at a much better rate and a much better time frame to a much better level of adequacy than our government. Now, as our systems become more expensive, taxes go up. Correct. Cost yeah. of living goes up. Right. Yeah. Inflation goes up. The people who would donate have less. Now, let me ask you a question, Jacob. You've got an extra 10 bucks in your pocket. Your neighbor, he's in a pinch, needs 10 bucks to go to work. You give them 10 bucks, right? Correct. Most people would. Would you want to pay that $10 to the state to have the state help your neighbor with only $5? I personally would not. It's not I, have, uh, I have seen their track record with how they spend our money, and I, I don't really trust them. Not to mention, I never get a receipt, so I rarely... Get to see where my money actually goes. Not only do we not get to see where our money actually goes, but we're all well aware of the waste in these systems. And it's not just disability assistance systems. What I talk about from the perspective of dealing with disability assistance systems, healthcare systems, welfare systems, that applies to every single government system out there. Your schools, your roads, government contracts, the way they run the offices in Albany and D.C., all of that is just rife with extraneous waste. It is so unnecessary. Don't get me started on the military. It's not really my level to talk <laughs> because I run for the state yeah. house in, in New York. But I have my feelings of military waste, and, I, and I'll tell you why. I have a 29-year veteran who just retired from the military, local, came back, saw what was going on, 
realized that she had dedicated 29 years of her life to the military to protect our rights, only to come home and realize that they've been waiting at a faster and faster rate. Yeah. Now, she's a libertarian running for town board right here in Guilford, New York, where I live, because she's familiar with government waste. Her jobs as medic and environmental specialist, among, I mean, her, her resume is huge after 29 years. Um, she saw nothing but waste in the military. So, again, there's another government system, our military. Yes. Just completely right with waste, right? Um, typically, our military budget equates to the total of our, roughly, income tax nationwide. We spend all that money. Have you ever talked to a veteran about the VA? Oh, yeah. Several times. Uh, one of my... Uh or my actually my best friend he uh or is a marine um you know once a marine always a marine and uh he only spent four years in uh it it took him quite a while to actually get his disability claim from the va and almost every single time he's gone in it's just nothing but red tape and bureaucracy and a whole lot of hurry up and wait and fill out this form and they do pretty much everything to be able to not help you. No, that's absolutely correct. And you see the same thing in our state systems for disability. If you gain an injury, particularly on the job, you need to file for SSDI. Uh, it's disability supports for someone who is working, typically. Yeah. It takes four years. That's the average nationwide. Four years. Four years to get help nationwide. People die in that time. People lose their homes and cars and families in that time. How is that helping? Oh, it's not. That That's looking at somebody who's down on their lot, kicking him in the face, and coming back next week to give him a hand up. And then pretending like you actually did something to help. Yes. Um... So direct action helps much, much better than any state system. Now, I'm not saying you get rid of state systems. I'm a pragmatic libertarian. Um, I understand that if we just get rid of state assistance systems or any other system, then you, you leave a void and you leave a lot of people without and you leave a lot of needs unmet. But something we can do is offer options that are more effective and less expensive. For instance, I'm going to talk about disability systems again because it's what I know best. Yeah. Um, in my situation, I qualify for all kinds of government assistance, and that doesn't help me. And there's a number on my head about how much money is typically spent on someone like me. Now, they're not really spending that money on me. I mean, they didn't buy this wheelchair. Yeah. They, um, they don't provide the health care I need often enough. I am my own dentist. I have a pair of pliers <laughs> because dentists can't serve me or won't. Um, I was incapable of uh, getting my heart checked out for other accessibility reasons, believe it or not, in the hospital. Um, so there's this huge number on my head that's, that's not getting spent but is still spent in a way. Yeah. So rather than spending all that money on me, why not 
why not give me a managed account? Put my social worker in charge of it. My social worker and my doctor. They sound like experts, don't they? I would assume so. You know, I would tend to ask my uh, doctor about what I should do for my health versus somebody who works in a government building. I mean, it kind of makes sense to me. So do do you think the state legislature here in New York knows more about my disability than my doctor? I would assume not, but they definitely pretend like they do. Yes, they do. Um, We've had other programs that are we're more efficient. Um, one is still going. It's called the Nursing Home Transition and Diversion Waiver. Um, that's a, a system of qualifications for supports that allow you to stay in your home longer. This particularly applies to the aging. Also applies to someone in my situation. Uh, rather than going into an institution, which the government would also pay for. This program in New York is proven to elicit better results at a lower price. Guess what New York's doing with it? Hmm. Trying to restrain. They're trying to restrain. They'll eventually want to seek to phase it out. So what what would you say some of the biggest, um, some of the biggest issues uh, people over in your state are currently facing uh, and specifically, so in case anybody doesn't know, you are running for state senate in New York, District 52. Yep, State Senate here, District 52 in New York. Um, it so, is yeah, my what? second run for this race. I ran last cycle, and I, and I took uh, over 13,000 votes in district, um, 12.4%. Doesn't sound like a big number when you say 12.4%, but it was the biggest percentage in most votes in New York as a libertarian in that cycle. Yeah, that that is impressive, so, especially with the uh, libertarian banner. Oh yeah, as a third party, no less. Um, so the biggest issues in New York right now are very, very obvious. It's it's our economy. I mean that that's number one. You know, I was talking about the systems, right? We're draining our communities, and we're making everything more expensive, and we're not providing, despite the expense, the actual solutions that are needed. In the first six months of the pandemic, we lost over 100,000 small businesses in New York. Over 100,000 wow. small businesses, six months due to government overreach. That's ridiculous. Thankfully, our governor is resigning over it's about time. <laughs> allegations of sexual assault. There must be enough meat on the bones. I don't deny it. But really, why is this why he's resigning? He's killed so many other people. The, the nursing the homes prison, alone. The, the interesting thing about the nursing home situation um, is that that was largely due to following regulations that were in place. Very strict regulations that were designed to ensure that someone didn't go to the hospital and have their room at the home given away while they were in the hospital for an extended stay. Um, and, and I understand wanting to prevent that. However, with all of the things that he did with the stroke of a pen in the pandemic, did he even think to address segregating the sick from the not sick? 
No. He 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 could have, with with all of the things done by the National Guard, our healthcare systems, with with, with all of our people at hand, we could have gathered those who were not sick in one phone. And those who were in another, we, we could have made all kinds of temporary arrangements that would have kept that separate a bit, slowed down that spread. You know, they were all about stopping the spread and flattening the curve. Unless, of course, it was people who were costing a state money. When that state passes a budget that is bigger than all but five nations on Earth. That's just incredible. The budget we passed is bigger than all but five nations on earth, and yet our disability systems are not working, and we couldn't even think about protecting the infirm. New York is one of many states who actually um, deprioritized treating those with disabilities, not just for COVID, (laughs) but for anything. When I was campaigning last year, I ran into People with disabilities were turned out on the street. Turned out on the street. One gentleman in particular, um, at the time that the lockdown occurred, he was in a rehab facility after having his spine cage, which is a very extreme procedure. And he didn't have a place to live. He was supposed to go to a shelter or a halfway house. Those systems were shut down. And when I met him, he was living out of a duffel bag in a wheelchair, manual wheelchair, in a park bench. Oh, that's just horrible. He's not alone. He's not alone. Um, somebody else that I know, uh, he had done 10 months in jail over alimony payments that he couldn't make because they took his license over alimony payments and he was a traveling carpenter uh, and the state really put him in a pickle uh, so it was easier for him to do that 10 months than to pay well while in prison he sustained a level of abuse that when he was released he had a neurological disorder every time he got any kind of worked up half of his body would tense up and he couldn't move couldn't get off the couch he didn't have family supports and where he was was about to turn him out on the street in March, he was about to be homeless on the streets in March in New York without any assistance, without any support. Mm. So I got him a plane ticket to Florida. Florida hadn't locked down. He got treatment and he was back to work in two weeks. He lives in Florida. He's a working carpenter. Good for him. That's. That's an, that's absolutely incredible, that's, and honestly, no no thanks to uh, your state system over there. And uh, what what's really concerning and, and, is uh, something I'll, your your state's not an outlier. Um, many states act like this. Um, the unfortunate thing is that bad policy starts in states like New York, and then spreads. So if you're liberty minded, and there's somebody in a state like New York or California, Texas, Florida, powerful states at the, at, the, uh, at the national level. You need to support our liberty candidates there. Um, this, is, this is how we get what we need. This is how we get what we want. 
Um, I, I, I believe in freedom in all states. I believe in liberty in all states. I believe in efficiency in all government systems. However, bad policy starts in states like New York. Um, it, we have to think about focusing in the Libertarian Party. Uh, I mean, what are we here for? We, we're, we're here to, to stop this overreach of government. We're, we're here to make people's lives better. So we need to be focused. I mean, we're the, we're the fastest growing party in the nation right now, but that does not make us a large party. We're not even an old party. We're only 50 years old, which is young for a political party. Especially in this country. So I would, uh, you know, I'm going to do my plug here. Check out TomFor52.com, T-O-M-F-O-R, 52.com. I'm one of very few candidates in New York to lay out their policy, and I'm, I'm, you won't see that from the Democrats and Republicans in New York. Um, you can read all about me. You can even contact me. You can see my social media, and you can consider a donation. Um, we don't have ballot access here as a party. So come April, I'll be looking to get about 4,500 to 5,000 signatures just to run for office. Well, we will uh, definitely make sure and uh, put your website and everything in all the video descriptions. Uh, I was going to make sure and put you down as a sponsor um, because I would like to be able to help as much as I can and get the word out there. Um, there, there's a few things in your platform that uh, definitely, you know, strike home to me. And uh, I sat and read through your platform, your bio and everything. Very well done, by the way, that I really like the website. Um, one thing Thank in particular, an- one thing in particular that uh, I was just going to say, an- oh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> We're talking over each other. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say I'm an excellent volunteers um you know i grew some of them into professionals myself some of them were growing into professionals when i met them and 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 they flocked to me Uh, apparently um i'm the guy that people want to support and and that's what's happening and i love it um yeah you you gotta have a good team you gotta have a strong team and you have to have a large team there are many things to do on a campaign fortunately uh, my disability advocacy has led to me having pretty good networking skills yeah when i need people i get them so one thing i did want to talk about uh one of your platforms and i believe we've talked about this uh on clubhouse before uh is your uh agricultural stance and policies um as i i mentioned before that i was a vegetable farmer and i truly believe in uh farm to table I think that that's one of the best things uh, in in any uh, any state, any district, and I mean, it's what you put into your body. What you put in is what you get out. And over here in Utah, right. you know, we've we've been constantly losing um, agriculture land, um, and so that that was one one thing that uh, I definitely wanted to talk to you about. So. What, what's going on over there? So my concept for that is, is a program called New York Fresh. There's another state that's done something similar. I believe it was Montana or one of the Dakotas. Sorry, I don't always uh, don't always remember that very well. Um, 
and, and that the concept is if it, if it's made in your state, if it's grown in your state, it's produced in your state, it's sold in your state, and it's consumed in your state, why do we need federal regulations, especially in a state like New York that has its own regulations? Its own food-related regulations can cover everything. We can remove the USDA from that. That, that lowers our costs. That makes it more efficient for our small farmers to, to produce the kind of products that are healthy and that are in demand. New York City, right? We're always talking about this divide in New York between upstate and downstate. Well, we've got to look at why it's divided because the city's not even allowed to support our economy up here. And we're not even allowed to put our products down there. And, and that's systems regulation that make it unfeasible or impossible. We can easily just, just, just close the agricultural borders for what we produce here. Then every butcher that butchers meat every day for people who have their meat butchered and consume it themselves without any problems and without any sickness, butcher anything for resale. So, I mean, there, and when there it comes is to a- vegetables, I mean... Yeah, there, there's a big issue with uh, the FDA, uh, specifically with the meat and their grading system. Um, they could have the possibility of letting tainted meat come through, whereas in if you had local professionals come in, they could ensure the quality. Also, the quality would be fresher for these restaurants. Absolutely, and that's what they're seeking. Right. I mean, we know the restaurant business, particularly downstate, is seeking these kinds of products and they have the money to pay for them. We, we could actually give them a better price and make more money upstate by, by just facilitating that, by getting out of the way. Um, I, I will tell you that a small farmer cares about the quality of their product far more than any large farm, far more than any, than any, any uh, subsidized farm, especially. That, that is a misnomer, right? Um, we, we think about corporations as being bad, but a lot of farms incorporate so that they can pass it on to their, their children more easily but with less burden. Uh, so that's not really a corporate farm that's subsidized. That's, that's not somebody yeah. who's, who's lobbying for your tax dollars. Uh, that's just somebody who's trying to survive. And there is a difference. Oh, um, yes. But these larger, larger corporate farms that are subsidized that do lobby your tax dollars that's a problem you know the price of milk hasn't gone up much since the 70s what 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 would, what would a 1970s dollar be worth today do you know um well not right off the top COVID, of my head it would have been dollars. But... yep before covid it would have been worth 19 dollars. i can only imagine how many of today's dollars a 1970s dollar is worth now um, but think about your small farm. Not getting yeah. paid much more for every gallon of milk. Held to stricter regulations with much higher overhead costs. Limited in production, by the way. Limited in what you can sell that milk for. There are other uses for it when there's too much. Believe it or not. It can actually be compost, composted. It can be turned into... Um, feed for other livestock animals. It, it can do a lot that uh, is unfortunately restrained. Yeah, we... Yeah, uh, another big... 
the the farm that I worked on, we actually uh, had a harvest festival. So we would grow vegetables, sell pumpkins um, during the the haunt season. And we actually had Utah's largest corn maze for a long time. And uh, at the end of the season, we would actually turn around, chop down the corn and sell it to the farmers um, around us for feed. And uh, before the the farm got bought up and sold off, split up, a uh, lot of development actually. So it was really sad to see it go. Um, all the farmers around there would all help each other. And I'm not sure if you guys have uh, the CSA program over there, but it's how you can uh, purchase goods straight from the farmers, uh, monthly program and everything. And it, it always worked out so wonderful with all of us um, all working together down there. And because of the red tape over here, it just screwed everything up. There's another big issue at hand here. Um, you know, we really don't pay enough for our food. It should be worth more. It should be better quality. And, and it should be, be worth paying that much for it. Because the problem with that. If we don't also reduce the cost of living, what well, we're doing these initiatives that, that, that bring up the scale of our food, that, that bring up these small farmers that produce these better products that we're going to end up paying more for. If we don't do both, it's really not going to help. Um, we already see those, those at the lower economic level are living off of Pop-Tarts and Kraft macaroni and cheese. And despite the fact that the FDA says a Pop-Tart is healthier than an avocado, it's not. Yeah. So... Yeah. When we think about these things, we need to remember the mistakes of our past. And politically, that means if we look at just one aspect of something, let's say we just did the just did the Farmer Freedom New York Fresh program and didn't also reduce the cost of living, what's going to happen? There's going to be nobody to buy the product. Or it's going to be an elitist product that poor people who need to be healthy can't afford. And, and that, that's just heartbreaking. So many, and we need to remember these things when we make policy. That, that, is, that is the number one source of boondoggles from our government. Is that they think about one thing and one thing only. At the most, you've got pork added to the bill, and they're not actually considering the entire dynamics of it. Uh, let, let's talk about hemp in New York for a minute. Yeah, of course. It, it costs something around half a million dollars to apply for a permit to grow hemp when they first started out here in New York. With Holy hell. Growing up. You were not guaranteed a permit. A lot of people lost a lot of money. Just trying to get a permit. Then the regulations and the level of THC in hemp are at 0.03%. They test your crop. You come in at 0.031%. Well, that's too high to sell as, as consumable hemp. Okay. Let's till it back in the field or turn it into cattle feed. Uh, you know, maybe yeah. some rope. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, our government here in New York, the state government, forces that farmer to burn his crop. Burn it. Burn his crop. 
He's got a year invested in that crop. He's got how much money invested in that crop. It's got so much potential value in so many more ways than the original intention, and yet he has to burn his crop? Now, now Jacob, if I asked you to take out all the money in your wallet and set it on fire right now, would you do it? Uh, well, Federal Reserve note, maybe, but <laughs> I definitely wouldn't want to. <laughs> right. So, what if the government forced you to do it? I would have no choice. Neither did he. The other thing that we did wrong here in New York when it came to hemp is that we did not allow the appropriate development of processing facilities. There's, there's an abandoned factory down in Broome County that was supposed to be turned into a hemp processing factory, but it was delayed and stalled by government PS, bureaucracy, and people's stupid opinions, not not adequate opinions, not data, not not on the value of the project, but just because it might be cannabis, um, it was restrained. It's still not open. So we don't have processing facilities for a lot of the hemp. A lot of our hemp here in New York, and many states actually have gone through this, sat around, went bad, molded, Same thing happened to be here. Used. Now... Imagine that. Burned crop, molded crop, otherwise unusable crops. When hemp is one of the most versatile plants on earth. I, I've talked to a, a cabinet maker out of Pennsylvania. When lumber prices skyrocketed, he didn't have to change his prices for building cabinets because he switched to hemp board. Interesting. Hemp can also be processed. Yep. Hemp seed, for instance, can be processed into food. Um, it can be processed into pellets, much like wood pellets you use for heat. It can be processed into building blocks, insulation yeah. blocks. It can be processed alongside recyclable plastics so that we're not only making something that's biodegradable, but we're reusing something. Exactly, a lot you better can make for the earth. from hemp. You can make biodiesel from hemp. Hemp regenerates the land as it grows. Why are we stopping hemp? Why are we stopping cannabis? You think about the medicinal benefits of cannabis, and you think about the strength on our systems for health care. I, I, I don't care if it helps one out of a thousand people. That's a huge savings. That's a huge yeah. savings if you can just grow your medicine. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, it's completely sustainable. It grows a lot quicker than lumber. Um, and, yeah, it, I mean, one of the biggest issues right now is environmentally is definitely the plastic. And that, that also reflects into our food. Um, I, I believe I read somewhere that, uh, uh, like, testosterone levels in men are down 60% over the past 50 years. And a lot of that has to do with all of the plastic that our food uh, is wrapped in and comes into contact. So there, there's so many uses and just the fact that you can grow multiple crops in a season. It's ridiculous that there's so much red tape around this. And it's ridiculous. We don't need that red tape. It's not hurting anybody. Um, 
personally, uh, but you know, the, the big scare is that it's, it's marijuana. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's going to hurt our children. That that awful green pretty plant in the corner, it, it, it's just going to reach right out and kill your child. Uh, that's not true. Um, I was 10 years old. First time an orthopedic surgeon recommended that I try cannabis for pain because I was already having problems with prescription opiates. This was 1993. 1993. It was not legal anywhere. Not medicinally, not recreationally, not for anything. And yet my doctor, not my state assemblyman or state senator, but my <laughs> doctor was recommending cannabis. Um, a few more doctors would recommend it to me over the next couple of years. And by the time I was 13, I was using cannabis. Yeah. Um, in my 20s, I was actually part of a movement to, to make sure that those who had medical need for cannabis were receiving their cannabis. It's very illegal. But what do desperate people do in desperate times? They ignore the legality when it comes to receiving what they need. We saw this with alcohol prohibition. We definitely saw this with cannabis prohibition. You know, even when it comes to taxation, the IRS itself uh, recently stated that uh, approximately 50% of working people hide at least some of their income so that it's not taxed. How, how, what percentage of people does it take to win the presidency? Right? 50% yeah. plus one vote. Yep. Right? Or 50% or of the electoral votes. But most of us are hiding from the IRS. Who, who votes to be taxed? Who votes in favor of losing one-third of everything they have? Uh, typically people who uh, people. are pretty ignorant usually don't know how the system works, which I'll blame on the uh, and, education you know, system. It is a misnomer. It is, it is a misnomer to think that our systems of taxation are intended to help those at the bottom. Uh, it's been shown that the higher our taxation rate, the worse off it is for those at the bottom. And, and this comes back to this model. You know, voluntary action, state systems, costs, voluntary action. It is a misnomer to think that this is going to help us. It doesn't. It never yeah. does. I I definitely have a belief that a vast majority of the population is definitely more than capable of taking care of themselves, and that voluntary charity can definitely help pick up the slack where it needs be. Right, and direct assistance. Direct assistance. Actually, if you if you go to my website, tomfor52.com, and you click on the little Twitter icon, um, you, you can see my Twitter account. And somewhere near the top, I mean, today is the 21st, and I believe I posted it yesterday. It would have been the 20th. I'm currently raising money to replace a gentleman's wheelchair. Uh, he was hit by a car twice, lost two chairs, and, and he needs access to his community because he's a father of four. Yeah. And an avid community volunteer. Yeah, yeah and that's that's incredible. Uh, I know so, several people that love to be able to get out there and 
get their hands dirty, so to speak. It's one of the best. And, and Bill Snyder is one of those people. And that's that's incredible. Well, Bill Snyder is definitely one of those So that's definitely really great. Um, I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit about that afterwards, and we'll see what we can do to get that spread around and uh, get the message out more. Definitely. I would like to help with that. I appreciate that. Of course. I um, apologize to our, our viewers for this episode. We've got a little bit of lag from, uh, from, from you to me. Yeah, it seems like that. It Levels kind of jumping a little bit. Seems to be balancing out now. Is everything good on your end? Yeah, it's just we, we end up talking over each other because we're time lag. Yeah. Um. So. Not a big. Kind of a uh, a random question, you know. Uh, don't want to keep everything so serious, um, but uh, something that I th- would find interesting uh, to hear what your opinion is, and that's. Um, which celebrity do you think is a positive role model for kids today? I don't <laughs> know any celebrities. I'm not, I don't follow the media. I don't watch movies. Um, I, I'm very libertarian in that I, I, I pay attention to policy. I pay attention to what goes on in my communities. Yeah. Um, the best role model I can think of, to be perfectly honest with you, is somewhere between Popeye the Sailor and <laughs> and Batman. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with the Batman. I'm a massive Batman fan, so yeah, I you know I thought about that question uh, before we started this interview, and I I couldn't think of anyone. You know, there seems to be a lot of uh, uh for lack of a better term, a lot of degenerate people that are being focused on in in uh, popular culture and i i really think it's yeah uh, no absolutely it, it's it's adding to it's, a lot of these it, problems it, it's a golden calf syndrome we see it with politicians too uh worship no man right no man to woman um worship no individual recognize that we're all individuals and that we are all flawed. Yeah. Everybody's going to make mistakes. Everybody's going to do something stupid at some point in their life. <laughs> I know I have. Oh, yeah. I most definitely well, have. <laughs> I've run <heard> your office. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, the libertarian perspective, in my opinion, is, is not no rules but no rulers. And, and that's why I believe in things like term limits. Yeah. So that you, the same yeah. person can't get it over and over again. We see coercion and we see marketing overused. Remember the Burger King commercial? Yeah. Right? Yeah. We see it about yeah. candidates. Yeah. Well, one of my prospective opponents in the coming race is a, is a Republican running on lowering taxes. He's been mayor for several times um, of a city, largest city in district. Do you know what he did? Mm. His mayor? Raise taxes. Oh, great. So he, he's expecting the district to believe that the guy who has done nothing but raise taxes is running to lower taxes. And he's going to message that. And he's going to spend a lot of money trying to convince you of that. And if you believe it and he wins, you're going to be sorry because he's going yeah. to raise taxes. So Voting records I, matter. I actually have a, I, I have a uh, belief that 
at least in our modern political climate, that there's pretty much only two options. They're either completely incompetent or they are acting maliciously. Um, I'm not exactly sure which one is worse. I personally tend to see a lot more uh, malicious actions. Uh, what do you? What What's your opinion on this? So, you know, in, in New York, I like to tell people that in terms of politicians, we don't really have Republicans. Individuals, sure. Politicians, no. What we have are Democrats and those beholden to Democrats. And that started to change a little bit with last cycle. We saw some more actual Republicans get into office. Um, Mr. Mankdalo is a good assemblyman. Mankdalo. I can't spell it for you, but I, I've, I've <laughs> talked to him and he's a good guy. And I believe he actually believes in what he's doing. Yeah. Whereas my opponent last cycle could barely be considered a Republican at all. He didn't do anything to lower taxes. He didn't do anything to preserve our freedoms. He wouldn't stand up for our gun rights. In New York, where else should a Republican be standing up for gun rights? Yeah. Right? And he's one of those people that uh, he'll show up at an event and he'll kiss the baby long enough to get the picture and then he's gone. I Kissing hands and shaking babies. My own. <laughs> found out through my own campaigning last cycle that since his first win, he hadn't really been around a lot of the rural counties. He just stayed right there in the seat. He stayed surrounded by money. He stayed surrounded by people who paid him money. Um, he's paid over $120,000 a year to work for six months as a state senator. And... He also works as a police officer, and he owns a, this one will get you, private investigation firm. Oh, hmm. Isn't that interesting? Then he, you know, he seated his girlfriend in a position in his office at a higher salary than his campaign manager. And then they got married. Now she, now she owns a real estate, so that they're doing all of this. And... He couldn't show up to vote the first time regarding the governor's overreach of power. He was an absent. Um, everybody should know what an absent means. It means he was not there. Why would he be absent? Why would he be absent from the single most important vote of his career? Because he agreed with our governor. He couldn't be an abstain because everybody knows that to abstain means you basically agree, but you don't feel like you should agree publicly. And, you know, people are kind of wise to that one. So to be absent is the best you can do. And, and he's been railing against the governor through COVID, which is hilarious. And he's threatened investigations over the nursing homes, which is hilarious because the nursing homes were following the regulations that were in place. It wasn't yeah. a problem of what he did. It was a problem of what he didn't do. Yeah. Well, and I, I believe you mentioned that there were some pretty horrible policies regarding the nursing homes uh, long before COVID even started. Yeah. Um, so, there's so much wrong with the healthcare here. 
Let's start with certificates of need. To move to New York and be a nurse or a doctor, you, you have to fill out and file a certificate of need. And you may be required to, to go through your schooling once again, requalify, retest yeah. to be able to work. You know, you may come from a state where the requirements are higher, but New York will say, no, pay us, pay us, pay us. Otherwise, you can't be here. And guess what happens over time? Well, we have less healthcare professionals. Uh, I know for a fact that our nursing staff and support staff are, are dwindling. Uh, we don't have enough of them. The nursing home nearest me has always had troubles keeping enough staff on board to take care of residents. And, and to that note, um, the, the rate of death by, by sepsis, which me, means bed sores, is on the rise in our country. The, when you're sitting still a lot, you need to stay a few things. You need to stay clean, you need to stay dry, and you need to stay repositioned on a regular basis. This means that we have dwindled the level of our health care to the point where when we put our parents in a nursing home, they're not staying clean, dry, or repositioned enough. Um, there was a William Peace, William Peace, disability advocate, right out of New York, by the way. Uh, he died of sepsis from bed sores, advocating mm. against the decline of care. So, without enough staff, our facilities can't perform. Then we have all kinds of regulations that, that increase the, the cost burden, administration. We see this in our nonprofits, too, that serve those disabilities. I'm on the board of the Caskill Center for Independence, and we see that all the time. So, they, they raise the costs again and reduce the amount of help that's there. We also have, um, I like to call them cartels, uh, hospital and medical cartels. I think we've only got three hospital chains in this, in this state. There are some private hospitals still, but the, as far as uh, options, typically only three. I know it's UHS, I know it's Bassett, and there's another one that I always forget. Does that sound like you have options in healthcare? Not really. It sounds like they're forcing your hand. It sounds like a state forced monopoly because that's what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing about nursing homes that just came up, um, I know a guy who installs HVAC systems, air air sanitizing systems, air filtration systems. He does hospitals, he does nursing homes, and he does animal shelters. Guess which one of those three gets a better air sanitization system? I would guess the... Uh, which, which one of those three? I, I would guess the animal hospital. Well, you guessed that because you're a libertarian and you know how government <laughs> operates, and you are yeah. trapped. He was livid. He is installing a better, healthier system for the SPCA than he is for a private hospital or a chain hospital or a state institution. Yeah. 
That's. I love cats and dogs, but really. Yeah, I, yeah, I so, feel the same way. I, I absolutely love those furry little things, but when, when that is the option between taking care of some of the most vulnerable in our society and taking care of the animals, uh, I'm, I'm going to be choosing the most vulnerable. I would much rather give them better care. Well, absolutely. But, you know, we, we really don't have to make that choice. We need both. Yeah. We can have both. We just got to get government all the way. I would definitely agree. So, uh, one thing, uh, another question I was curious. Um, I'm always curious what people uh, would answer to this, and that's, what book do you think should be mandatory for everyone to read? What do I think should be mandatory for everyone to read? Well, just if, if you could choose one, one book to make sure that everyone should read. Obviously not through Power of the State, but... You know, I'm going to go a different way with this. There's a children's book called Country Mouse, City Mouse. And if you've ever read it, it actually, um, it's a good comparison of city life and country life. There's two characters who meet each other and learn about each other's different lives. And I, as I said, I'm in New York. And we have yeah. this divide between the city and upstate. And I think a lot of people would do well to take that book to heart. It's very simple. Everybody can understand it. It's a great children's book. You should read it to your child. Um, that way, people in the city can understand people in the country. People in the country can understand people in the city. And we can understand that we have different needs. Maybe we need different laws in different places. Or maybe we didn't just need different approaches in different places. Because where I am, many, many people still rely on hunting food. Yeah. But in New York, because people in cities don't feel the same way that we do, we are now very heavily restricted on hunting. We are now very heavily restricted on the arms we can purchase to hunt with. Yeah. And I believe that so many people in the city do not realize that that is the difference for a lot of people between having food in the winter or not. Yeah, same same thing over here. Um, it's it's a very uh, outdoorsy state. Um, and Salt Lake County is one of the uh, largest counties as far as population goes. Um, a lot of them down there, uh, since it is the capital city, um, their policies definitely don't reflect the majority of the state. And through communicating with yep. them down there, a lot of them would not mind seeing their policies forced on the rest of the state. And so I can definitely agree. Well, and there's a reason they don't mind. There's, there's a very valid reason they don't mind. They don't live somewhere else. They don't experience life like it is in the other places. And they don't have a, they don't have a beginning of foothold to, to understand and have compassion for the needs of other people in other places. And we really need to start bridging this gap. I've always said that people should know where their food comes from. You, you should visit the farm. 
Yes. You should be involved in the process at least once in your life. If you eat meat, you should at least witness butchery, if not partake. Um, I eat meat. I'm okay with eating yep. meat. But I am not okay with people who tell me they buy their meat from the store so that no animal is harmed. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. Oh, that's been a thing for most of my life. People who haven't seen the farm don't understand that that steak in the store came from a living, breathing cow. Yeah. Uh, as a small farmer myself, at least that's what I consider myself because I grew up on a farm. I have that culture and lifestyle, and we do still produce our own. Um, the number one thing that my father taught us was that a happy animal produces better products. That means if you raise your animals appropriately and you keep them happy, well-fed, make sure their needs are covered, they have a good life, and you have a good stick. It's true. It is very true. And providing them with the best life possible is also the most ethical thing. Instead of cramming too many animals right. in a small area, like some of these uh, massive farms do, uh, especially like with Tyson and the chicken. You see it in big dairy, too. Um, actually, yourself and anyone else watching, I, I would ask you, the next time you go buy a massive dairy farm, take a look at those cows. Take a look at Holsteins. Their bones show. We have made them genetically sick by breeding them to have these massive milk-producing udders and very little for muscular skeletal structure. Yeah. They're all sick. They're born sick. Yeah. Well, and that just reflects in us. We consume uh, products and byproducts of sick animals, and then it just makes us sick. Makes us all not feel good. Makes... Um, Probably a lot of diseases and conditions come out. You know, we were talking about the USDA regulations with New York Fresh. Um, when you put an animal on a truck and ship it a hundred or several hundred miles to get butchered, that animal is stressed out. It releases stress hormones into its meat. You absorb those hormones. Yeah. When you eat that meat. A proper kill happens quickly and effectively without stressing out the animal so that the hormones are not released into the meat and then you don't eat those stress hormones and then you're not affected by them. It's true. It's very true. Uh, like I said, you, you get out what you put in and if you want to live a much happier and healthier life, you got to be concerned with the quality of what you're putting in. And, you know, I, I have a little joke that I tell people regarding their diets and, and the food system. Uh, treat it like your sex life. If you don't know what it is, don't put it inside of you. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. So what, what, one, what one issue um, do you not get to talk too much about? I, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? What, what one issue do you not get to talk about? Hmm. I get to talk about all the issues. Um, there's too many for this show. <laughs> I, I, 
think one that, that goes under discussed is property rights and environmentalism um, and, and the libertarian perspective on that. I was actually a part of shutting down a foreign company coming in to incinerate lithium-ion batteries in a residential area next to kids' ball uh, ballparks, next to grocery stores with, with stacks lower than some of the surrounding houses. Why is that libertarian? Why is it libertarian to shut down a business? Yeah. Well, to stop a business. Why is that libertarian? Well, PFAS, which stands for something I'm not going to try to pronounce, is a chemical family. Uh, our own military has an account set up to pay for the damages that were caused from when it had PFAS incinerated. Lithium-ion batteries use PFAS as their electrolytes. It's, it's the chemical inside them that helps make them work. This company was going to incinerate these batteries to harvest the heavy metals. So technically they're recycling the heavy metals and they were calling this a recycling facility. But what it was was actually an incinerator. Any incinerator leaves behind solid waste at the end. And in this case, it would be incinerating the PFAS into nanoparticulate pollution, um, which is extremely sticky and, and flows through the air. And it would have affected, eventually, the fishing in Maine. This wow. one facility would have had a detrimental effect on the coastal fishing of the state of Maine, let alone our local areas. So... Why is it libertarian to stop this? Well, if that nanoparticulate is raining down on my home, on my vegetable garden, on my livestock, sticking to me, I'd say that's a violation of my basic property rights, as well as my bodily autonomy, because I get to choose what goes in my body, right? I don't right. get to let some... I don't... I don't need to let some South Korean company who's heavily subsidized by the government come in and pollute me. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's a, uh, act of aggression against you and the rest of the community. And people forget that our government is the number one polluter and, and the industries that it subsidizes are the, are, you know, not far behind. That's that's most just ridiculous. A, most pollution today is a result of government. Yeah, well, I I definitely uh, tip my hat to you for being a part of shutting that down. That's that's quite an accomplishment. Uh, most people, I would say, probably aren't even aware of a lot of companies that come in and try to do these things to our environment and to negatively affect our communities like that. So I, I definitely applaud you for that. That's absolutely incredible. So, well, it had to be done. I mean, you just don't let people pour toxic waste on your home. You just don't. Well, it makes sense. I mean, I, I wouldn't want my kids or grandkids or even myself consuming or playing in water that had been contaminated with such deadly chemicals. Um, uh, yeah, and to make a comparison, the PFAS chemicals were not the only chemicals. There were others involved, but the PFAS are the same chemicals that were involved 
with the Teflon plants yes. in uh, not South, but Mid South. I think in Kentucky and Tennessee, if I remember correctly, where where it was it was killing cattle and people. Still does. Yeah, I I actually watched a uh, documentary about that not too long ago. It's incredibly shocking um, what all of those chemicals actually do to the natural wildlife, the uh, the livestock, and people as a whole. It was absolutely terrifying. And and, and the interesting thing is, PFAS are designed to resist heat and incineration. See, I didn't. I didn't know that. That's <laughs> that is truly terrifying, honestly. Well, it's one of the properties that makes them a good battery electrolyte. Hmm. So you can transfer that energy, and they don't degrade. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, and that that just comes full circle and affects <laughs> everything else. They're also designed to last forever. Why weren't they trying to harvest the PFAS to reuse? Yeah, yeah, that's. That's. I I don't even know what to say about that. I the the conscience of some of these people because you can't tell me that these corporations don't know the dangers of releasing these chemicals. And I. Well, this one absolutely knew. Because this facility in South Korea was, was miles and miles and miles away from people in, in an industrial zone that South Korea has set aside for this kind of thing, not where people live. Yeah. And then they come here and put it next to a school or right next to a neighborhood. Because the systems of, of subsidization and lobbying within our government has turned our government into fools. They make bad deals all the time. They've turned you into a fool. Yeah. With your tax dollars. Yeah, I think that's what upsets me the most is uh, we end up paying for a lot of this um, financially, and then we end up turning around and paying for it decades later through our health and what we consume, the air we breathe. Do you think maybe that increases our health expenditures? Our health care expenditures. You mm-hmm. think maybe our systems can't tolerate that anymore? Yeah. Yeah, and it's... Uh, I, I, I really appreciate this, Jacob. I, yes. I do have to get running because I've got engagement. Um, of course. Anytime of course. you want me back, let me know. Yeah, I would I would love to have you back anytime. You are always more than welcome. And uh, just one more time, uh, your website, tomfor52.com, T-O-M-F-O-R. 52.com um, slash FTG for some actually really cool merch. So, uh, yeah. Thank and you there's again. a meme contest. Oh, yes. I forgot about that. The uh, the meme contest. Um, and you enter that through the FTG, correct? Correct. Okay, perfect. Well, I will make sure and uh, put all of this in the uh, description of the video. And once again, thank you for coming on. It was a great time. Thank you again for having me. Uh, as I said, if you want me back in a few months, send me an email. Oh yeah. We'll, uh, we'll get you on for an update see how everything's going. So, all right.
Let's see. 